Welcome to the Jam Broberg Show, where we expose the truth about child sexual abuse, rape, assault, and trauma. Everything you hear on this show is for informational and educational purposes only. We do not dispense therapy or give legal advice. This show is not for children. I'm Jam Broberg. Let's get started. Welcome back, everybody. Today, I want to finish up our series on what you do if a child or a young person starts to disclose. So it might just be one sentence because most of the time, that young person does not know how you will react, and they are already managing a secret that has been placed there by a really, um, what I call a, a sinister <laughs> manipulator. In other words, they're either going to threaten that if they tell something terrible will happen to them or to you as their parent or one of their siblings or blah, blah, blah. They, they have the right threat. They, they know how to keep kids quiet through threats. They also know how to keep kids quiet through rewar rewards. So you might have a child who is getting something in return for their silence. And for a while, that actually might work or a combination of both the threat and the reward. There's also the third aspect that they don't know how you'll react. So a lot of times, especially tweens and teenagers, often are silent and they hold things back, not because you haven't tried to create a communication path in your home or around your dinner table or whatever. They just tend to be disclosing to their friends. A lot of times, a friend will know something that you don't know, and if you can establish a rapport with those tweens and teens friends, sometimes that's where the information or the disclosure will start. It will come from somebody that's close to your, to your teenager, and they may not disclose to you. It might be to somebody else, maybe their own parent or, um, you know, someone that they trust, but don't take it as a, you know, slap in the face that your child didn't tell you first. Sometimes that happens because they just don't know how you're going to manage the information. So in other words, they're worried about making you mad, making you sad, making you unhappy. So the very first thing that we talked about was how important it is to stay calm and steady. You stay calm and steady when that disclosure comes to you, whether it's directly from the source, from you know, your child or somebody else that knows something is happening to another child or to your child. Be calm and steady. Just create that safe space so that they will keep talking. So calm and steady is number one. You believe what they say. You don't give them questions that would make them feel like you're not sure if they're telling you the truth. You 100% believe them. Take it at face value. Take it in their language, however that language is which, you know, could be anything from a few words that may be strung together. You think, is that something inappropriate or abuse? Or is that just an owie that my child is experiencing something that, that he or she doesn't have the words for? Okay, so believe them 
listen. The third step is to reestablish safety for that child. So for the child that either somebody else has disclosed to you something about or to your own child that has disclosed, they have to feel safe again. Something has taken away their sense of safety. They are not in a safe environment, even in their own home. And oftentimes the abuse happens in your own home. Maybe you're at work and maybe it's an older, you know, friend or a neighbor or somebody, unfortunately, a sibling or a cousin. And of course, it can be a parent or aunt, uncle, grandparent. It's, it's a sad reality, but often the abuse will happen in your own home, even while you are home. And I had one girl that disclosed something to me and the abuse was happening while they were all in the family room watching a movie because this older boy, you know, would always cuddle with this younger girl. They were, you know, great friends. Both families were great friends, but he was was touching and molesting under the the blanket with the popcorn balls, uh, with the popcorn bowl sitting on top. So that's how brazen um, abuse can can be literally happening under your nose and can escalate to then finding private places or going to an upstairs room or a bathroom or somewhere um, downstairs, you know, where you're not at. So that's the, the next thing. You have to reestablish safety because that's been taken away. And that means do those first first two things, be calm and steady and believe them, and then make sure that that they know that you are going to keep them safe and you're going to keep what they tell you safe and that you can have a safe place to be. And if there's a room in the house that has already been compromised where they don't feel safe, then, you know, you, you, you know, tape it off with caution tape and say, no, you don't have to go in there right now. Let's go. You can move your bedroom upstairs. That's what my parents did without knowing what had happened to me. But I didn't feel safe or comfortable in my bedroom downstairs anymore. And they let me move upstairs into the office, the den. And um, those are just some of the things that could happen around that safety thing where your home has been a place of safety and now it's not. How do you recreate safety? So another way um, that I think creates the safety, which is step four, is that you do not ever show any kind of blame or disappointment or any sort of a shaming um, mechanism. You know, your eyes can be empathetic. There can be concern, but you don't want to have that that young person feel like somehow they did something wrong. So they have to know 100% that they are not to blame, that they are not in trouble, that they didn't do anything wrong. And that also is a way of keeping or recreating safety. Um, And then the one that we talked about last week, number five, was you as the person hearing the disclosure. You need a safe place to go and express your sadness, your rage, your disappointment, your upset with this kind of information. It's just devastating because many times it is a member of your family. So now we're going to get to that last step, the step where you move forward to get help. You are not the trained professional. You are not the police. 
You are the person who is listening, being calm and steady, asking maybe a clarifying question, but certainly this is not a, what did they do? When did they do it? How did they do it? Where were you? This is not your, this is not what you do. You get help. So as you start to look at, okay, well, what does that exactly mean? How do I go and get um, this kind of help? Where do I look? Well, one of the things you might do is you might go to the authorities, right? To a police department or to child and family services or someplace that you know has good information. It has people that are trained in this kind of thing and you seek those places out. You might go to a community that... Um, you know, there are things that people can give you advice even online or where they went or to a certain, um, there are attorneys who deal with children's issues of abuse. There are, that they specialize in those kinds of things. So, so seeking out, you know, like where you go next, but to get help is really important. And of course, in my, my opinion, it needs to be a family member, if at all possible, who does the reporting. This is the, this is the group of people who do the least reporting because when you find out that it's someone in your family circle, extended family, or a really close friend circle, or a teacher at school, or a coach, or any, a doctor, a dentist, when it's somebody close to your family, it is so difficult for you to to report it. It's just so hard because there is something inside of people that want to, they want to keep the family name, so to speak, in a kind of this pure place where, where, you know, this person did this terrible thing, but our family as a whole, we're really wonderful and we don't want the whole family name, you know, to be soiled or destroyed because of this person. Well, that's, great, except that it's your job now that disclosure has happened to protect your child. And even though it may tear some people apart inside of you, the family, you are literally saving other children in your own family or maybe your neighborhood. Because oftentimes, and I know this sounds really, this might sound a little bit weird, but a lot of times, even the person who is perpetrating on a child in your family that is a family member. There is something in them that actually wants to get caught. They want to stop. And there are programs and ways that have been very successful in helping a perpetrator get the help they need. What happened to them? That's always the where you go first, not what's wrong with you, but what happened to them? And maybe there is a way to solve what they are holding on to, they're having an acting out experience because of trauma that was imposed on them. Because often this kind of sexual assault and violence is passed down from generation to generation to generation. And so I am very much a proponent that people should serve their time in jail, should be removed from having access to children. There should be way more um, laws that help the victims and that actually punish the perpetrators in ways that remove them from access to other children. But I also believe that people who abuse 
many times have also been abused. And even though they're adults, they have the choice. That's why we hold them accountable. As we hold ourselves accountable for our own healing, we hold those perpetrators accountable for their actions because if they have these kinds of problems, then they have to seek out the help that they need to not harm another human being. So people that are in a state of rage, you know, they, they, they've maybe been physically abused and they just are holding that in their body. That trauma is there in their body and, and just the slightest thing can send them into a rage. Well, we don't allow that person to beat their children, their wives, their dogs, you know, to throw things through windows, to throw, you know, knives and glasses at your head. We don't allow that. Even though the person may have also been physically abused, they are now an adult. They have to go, oh, time out. I have a problem. I need to go get help for this problem before I harm someone. Before I harm someone. So this is the same as, in my opinion, that holds true for perpetrators. Even if they have uh, had abuse in their life, they are still responsible for their actions. And I realize that there are things that I have done as an adult that were the residue of my abuse and that, that I hurt people because I had not figured some things out about myself and done some of the healing work that I've now done. And, you know, I feel uh, badly. I didn't abuse anybody exactly, but I did hurt people. You know, it, it happened in my own life. And sometime, you know, maybe I'll talk about that more as we get into that healing journey again and why none of us are immune. We still can pass the cycle and the chains of abuse to the next generation, even if we are not directly sexually abusing them or physically abusing that, the next generation. It is because of our behaviors and those things that are not healed that make us do things that I believe if we had had that healing sooner, we would not have done certain things. I really do think that this is the missing piece in society, that this healing, this mental health and healing is absolutely the most important thing that we, that we need to work on if we're going to prevent future abuse. We have to heal ourselves first, you know, physician heal thyself. And that means find your, your own way of healing uh, I think it's got to be easier to figure it out than it was for me. You know, it was hit and miss and and uh, sort of trying things and going, oh, I think that helped me a little. And I think I'm a little more, um, you know, empathetic. I think I'm a little less selfish or self-centered or that helped me be a little more grateful. This has helped me be a little less um, reactive. You know, I I found things, books, programs, you know, counselors. And, and other things, you know, somatic um, unwinding, you know, I've been doing a little of that lately. And, and also things that can heal the neuropathways in the brain and things that can, can literally change and heal your central nervous system, your sympathetic nervous system. I believe all of those things are far more accessible to people now in this day and age. So let's get people into that healing path. Let's get help. Let's get the help that we need. Hey everybody, I just I just had to take a minute because I want to talk a little bit about our online community, Thrive Ivers. Um, I always 
had the feeling it would be really cool and that it would be helpful, but I had no idea how amazing it is to be in a safe space with fellow survivors where you feel like you can talk about anything without any judgment, where you can have, you know, your worst day and need to express things about a big disappointment, or you have a breakthrough day and something that just finally made sense to you on your healing journey and you're able to go forward. I'm more than thrilled with what the members at Thrivivors are already talking about and what they're saying, and they're sharing their stories, and it truly is changing their lives and changing my life. I can't believe how much I've been missing by actually not having a group of fellow survivors in my path. There's so much to be learned on the journey from each other and from that support where you're completely safe. I hope that you'll come over and join us and just know that we have survivor stories that we share every week. We also have amazing experts like social workers, therapists, uh, memory experts, people who have created programs for healing because they were survivors too, and now they've gone down that path and that journey, and now they're sharing what they know with all of us. And it just becomes this wonderful, amazing um, experience. And I really want to encourage you to come and join us. And, you know, we'll never charge more than a dollar a day for your own health and healing. I think that's pretty reasonable. That'll never change. And if you can't afford a dollar a day, tell us what you can't afford. Nothing? Come anyway. We want all survivors to have a safe place to begin their healing journey and to be supported on that journey. So please just come. It's free right now for your first month, no matter what, and it can stay that way for as long as you need it to. And then when you feel like, oh, okay, I could throw in a five or a 10, I'll do that just to help us continue the platform and to continue having all of these amazing guests and speakers, as well as to just encourage the whole community in a way that probably you've never experienced before. It's pretty incredible. I can't wait to hear from you. I want to hear your story. So please go to our link in the show notes and find us at Thriveivers. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Therapy. I cannot adequately explain to you guys how vitally important therapy has been for me throughout my life. At times, it has been what keeps the 10% of my life, which is filled with challenges and trauma, from festering and becoming 20% or 30% or 50% and so on. Therapy has literally saved my life. It commits you to your own mental health, and it has a physical impact on you as well. So when your mental health is good, your bodily health improves. I'm telling you that at BetterHelp, you have an opportunity to do the easiest pathway to a therapist. You can chat with them. You can have a video session. You can text your therapist. It's immediate. You don't have to drive anywhere, and they will match you with a licensed professional. And if that doesn't work out, it doesn't feel like a fit to you, you can change it anytime for no additional charge. It's more affordable than traditional therapy, and it's easier than traditional therapy. When you feel better mentally because you've been seeing a therapist like I have throughout my life, you'll know why you have committed that time that money, that space. So hopefully you'll go to BetterHelp, use our link, betterhelp.com forward slash my name, J-A-N, 
and that will help out our show. It will help you. Plus, if you sign up from our link, you get 10% off your first month. I'm telling you, it's so much more affordable than traditional therapy, and it's also so much more immediate because you can do it from the palm of your hand. I know that for a fact. I've used them myself. So um, I think when it's a family member or somebody in the extended family, the person who has now disclosed has disclosed to hopefully, you know, it's someone that is trustworthy that they, they are safe with. And yet that person often wants to handle it in-house, air quotes, in-house. They want to handle it somehow themselves because it is a family member. I've seen this happen a lot in, you know, um, relationships like where people think, well, if I just can do this or this or this, then, you know, my husband or my, um, you know, some uncle or whatever, I, I think if we just talk about it and, and, and I, you know, don't lose my mind and we, we get the help we, that the child needs and, I think that this can be handled by by me. I think I can do this. You can't do this. This is not what you have been trained to do. This is not what you can do. Your, your bias towards your family name, your bias towards the people that you love, because many times it is either someone you're in a relationship with that you're scared of. So maybe you don't tell anybody, even though you know something's happening to your child, or it's somebody that you love. Maybe it's a new romantic relationship in your life and you're like, wait a minute, maybe, maybe my child did something to deserve this or to bring this on to themselves. That is not what has happened. And I'm so sorry, but you must go and tell the right people and get the right authorities involved and get the right help for that young person. And that is not something that you know how to do. So I even had a therapist one time that that his daughter had been had been molested by a, a friend um, of the family, and he said, "I I thought I knew how to maneuver this, but when it was my own child, I realized, oh, I can't do this, even though that was his specialty." And he sought out other colleagues and other people to help him, you know, with his daughter, so that it it wasn't him doing it because he just can't do that. So. I think that the other thing that I want to mention before, you know, we're done here is that you have to recognize that not only the child who has suffered the abuse needs help, but you got to recognize that all the family members, all the other children will also suffer in one way or another. The parents suffer that the guilt or the shame that they didn't see it or that they didn't do something sooner unless they are, you know, void of, of real empathy and love, which often does happen because they were abused and now they've somehow shut that part down. And that also is a form of abuse where neglect and, and withholding love and all of the things that, you know, us young peoples, we all were once a child that we need and needed, or that parent who's been abused themselves is self-medicating in some way, and that also causes abuse of their children because they're unaware, they're not present, they are checked out in some way or another. So 
I think realizing that all of the people around the child are probably suffering and need help is another thing that you need to seek out. So whether it's individual, you know, therapy or um, a family, um, you know, there are people that specialize in in family therapies and and having the family members sometimes all together, sometimes individually, then coming together to talk through something as disruptive as having someone in the family abused. Now, if you're suffering, you know, violence in the home already from a parent or someone that cares for the kids, I've heard that a lot with grandmothers that have either, they have substance abuse issues, but they're in charge of the kids. I've heard this a lot, more than I ever anticipated hearing about it. And so they're very, they can be very violent and very, um, I think something happened to them too. And most people will say, well, I think she was abused by her father and she just kind of took it out on my kids, but she was the caretaker and I didn't know, you know, that it would be this bad. And, you know, it's pretty upsetting when that person is your, you know, a grandmother or your mother or father. Um, very upsetting and very disruptive to the whole family, like, dynamic and what do we do now? So getting help um, because there's special circumstances for each person that is around that abused child. Um, the other thing that I think is really important is that if you try to handle it yourself, I didn't mention this, that what will happen is that because the person is still at the family reunion or at the family gatherings because you're handling it yourself, all of a sudden, your child is even more isolated. Does that make sense? They're even more um, confused as to why they have to be around this abuser. They're, they're going to isolate even further into their body, into their mind, into their emotional, you know, they're going to shut down, like hanging their head and putting the hoodie over it and just wanting to be invisible. So that is also really important to realize that when you make the mistake, please don't make the mistake of trying to handle something yourself because the child will just isolate further. And probably the perpetrator at some point will have a way of either passing a message to that child, a threat, you know, sometimes just a look in their eye. They'll know that they better be quiet and, and not say anymore. They'll shut down. So, you know, in in my opinion, the the family really it's in the best interest of the whole family if you basically get some some real legal help, advice, um, therapy, and you start down the path of healing all the members of the family together. Especially if it's a, a key member of your family, like there was a grandfather once that that uh, you know had abused six or seven of his granddaughters and it tore the family apart and so when they started to heal because the feeling was oh these parents of these girls believed us and these parents didn't but as time went on and you know the evidence was there and it came out there was a real effort to take the remnants of the family and put it back together because that child still needs their family. They need the nurture and the love and the example of families working through something so difficult so that they can work through something so difficult. 
And I think, you know, as we think about our families and we, we often go, well, it can't be, ha- it's, it's not my family. It can't be happening in my family. I have such a good family. And then I find out so often that somebody, somewhere, there was a cousin and somebody knew that that particular uncle was a little bit, the way he would kiss us and our kids, you know, goodbye. And then you find out, oh, there was more to it than that. Or they make the comments or they, you know, want the kids to play the, the wrestling and the tickling games. And they're always the one that's the life of the party. And people find out later what's really going on or what did go on. And they wish so badly that they had actually looked over in that corner or that they had not just swept their feelings that something was off under the rug. So on this journey, um, we know that all 50 states, sexual abuse of children is against the law. It is 100% against the law. If you do the right thing, you will report and you will have your child checked out and then you will get the best therapist that is right for their age at the time and then you'll provide other things for them as they grow up because it's not one time and done. Let's say you have a therapist and they are awesome and doing all the right things for that age, for that seven, eight, nine-year-old they're going to need a different person when they're 11 and 12 and 13 and another person or another mode of healing when they're 15, 16, 17, when they're 20, 21, 22. It's not not enough to think that, oh gosh, my kids are resilient. They got through this. Now we're, we're done with this. We don't have to talk about it. We don't have to think about it. We can just close our eyes and go on with our lives. In a lot of ways, that's what my family did. And I think because of when the abuse happened in the 70s to me, psychology and psychiatry and and therapy was not how we said it. We called called them counselors. There was so much um, almost uh, stigma if you saw a therapist uh, who we then called, you know, a psychologist or a, a shrink, you know, these disparaging words like, Oh, only people that are crazy go and see, you know, someone like that. And so we didn't have, I mean, we tried. My parents were were trying to have me see counselors and therapists during this time. And of course, I wasn't talking at that time. I needed that counselor, that psychiatrist, that psychologist later in my life. And luckily, I found a few good ones along the way on my path. So, um don't make the mistake that you can handle this yourself and that because you have a great relationship with your child, you know what to do and say. You know how to give them the tools to grieve what they've lost, to begin anew with their, with their life, to put back in place the safety that they have now had such a violation of. Just know that it's okay to ask for help. So get help. Um, that's it. I think I've covered this topic enough to say at least if you were to go online and search this this out, you might find more, much more, I'm sure, on disclosure and how you handle that. But if you can just remain calm and steady, you can believe the person, you reestablish safety for them, you find that there is no blame in 
even yourself, you don't know what you don't know. Blaming yourself is also not helpful to the child. I just wanted to make sure if I didn't say that before when we were talking about making sure that there's no self-blame, that would be for you as the parent as well. My parents felt so much guilt and shame that that was, that was hard on me to always try to reassure them that as I got older and I understood grooming and I understood the tactics of this master manipulator who had found ways to compromise my wonderful parents, I tried to let them know you were groomed. You trusted him. And yes, we all agree you made mistakes like human beings do, but it's very different when you're being led down a road of destruction by someone who is who knows what they're doing to make you make a mistake so that they can, you know. Anyway, I just think it's important that the parents and older brothers and sisters and people that either felt like there was something wrong and didn't do anything at the time because they didn't know or that were groomed and didn't see it at all, you're not to blame either. You have to let that go because that's a burden on your child or your tween or teen or the other kids in the family to try and make you feel better. Just don't blame yourself. Just get help and move forward. And then after that, you got you to gotta find your person, your place to express your feelings, your rage, your sadness for what's happened. So you find your safe place. Don't make that be somebody in your family. They need different things from you than to care for your emotions. So after that, you get help. I, I hope that this has been a helpful series. And thank you so much for listening and sharing these things with friends, family members. We really want, um, we want this awareness everywhere. We want millions and millions of people to become aware of those tiny little disclosures that could turn into something that is going to absolutely um, change the dynamics of your child's life. So educate yourself, educate others, turn people on to our podcast. And thank you again for listening. See you on the other side of trauma. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you for sharing this journey with me today. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. This really helps us spread the word. And if you know someone who would benefit from listening to our show, please do me a favor and share one of our episodes with them. I want every survivor to know that they are not alone and that there is help available. Links to my website, our foundation, the new book, our online community, Thrivivors, a newsletter can be found in the show notes. All of my contact info is there as well. This year, my number one focus is on sharing our stories. This is so important because it's the launching pad to our healing journey, and it inspires the survivor who is still suffering in silence. I don't want anyone to suffer alone anymore. So please reach out. I want to hear from you. Until next time, my friends, this is Mama Jan signing off, over and out on two.